Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Man, it's so good to to be here with you, 12 Stone. We've been working through the Old Testament as a church since... January, and, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have, learned as much as I've been learning. Uh, a few thoughts. Uh, I really, really love the Bible, uh, and I hope that, that we do as a church. So, so welcome into that. Well, we're just moving through Old Testament stories that are core and foundational to our faith and really show us the origin of how we became a faith people and reveal to us uh, the character of God. And today we continue that journey and we're gonna uh, come to the book of Joshua. We're gonna enter into a new book of Joshua. We're gonna see Joshua in the battle of Jericho. And we're asking a really big and important question today as we read this story. And it's simply this, why should I obey God? Why should we obey God? It's a, it's a really big question, but I think to get started, we have to be honest. Uh, how many of us don't like to be controlled? You can raise your hand if you don't like to be controlled by, by somebody else. Uh, that, uh, that thought describes me to a T. It drives my wife crazy from speed limits to HOA covenants. I struggle to, to when I feel like somebody's trying to control me. And, and I think God's trying to get back at me a little bit with my eight-year-old, my almost eight-year-old, because with him, and and parents, you'll understand where I'm going with this, with him, every single thing is a fight. Just this past week, it was raining uh, one morning before school, and of course, he's worn the same rain jacket the past 10 times it's rained, but if his mom says, hey, buddy, go put on that rain jacket, what do you think he has to do? He has to put up a fight because he wants to wear a different jacket. And then every single meal that we have with him is a negotiation. And we've determined in our home that we're done negotiating with terrorists, even though... Even though like he only really likes mac and cheese or chips, but, but then this past week, uh, the mac and cheese one day was too creamy. So we're, I don't know where we're at uh, in, in fighting him, why everything has to be a fight. But what we know and what you probably already agree with is obedience is hard. And obedience gets a bad reputation, and so we push away from it a little bit. I think today that God wants to reframe obedience for us in a positive way, maybe even almost redeem the reputation of obedience, specifically obedience to him. And I want to do that in two ways. I want us to help uh, think better about obedience. So we'll spend some time looking at this story from the book of Joshua chapter six to think a little bit better about obedience, but then also, of course, challenge us at the end to go and to do and to live as obedient children of God. So that's our big aim, answering the question of why should I obey God? And it's really my hope that for all of us, we would grow in our trust of God And then we would get to a place with willing and joyful obedience to him in every aspect of our lives. Like I said, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. If you have a worship center Bible on one of the campuses, we are on page 217. And we're going to dig in. Let me give you a little context as to what's happening. The past three Sundays, we have taught through the life of Moses. If you missed those Sundays, jump on the 12stone.com slash watch watch, uh, those teachings through Moses. Because what's happening in Joshua is there is a leadership 
leadership transition taking place. Moses is dying and Joshua is taking over national leadership of Israel. And what's going on now is Joshua has the honor and the responsibility of leading Israel, the Israelites, into this promised land, this land that was promised to Abraham, Abraham, their ancestor, back a few generations. And this is a huge moment for Israel because this is everything that they've been working for for years to get to this place where they have their own nation to grow and to prosper for generations. But in the final steps... Joshua and Israel come to this land and God is going to ask them to do something very differently than what they would have expected. And it's here that we see Joshua has to learn obedience to God in a very real way. Uh, also, as a church since January, we've been using the Jesus Storybook Bible as a resource to have uh, spiritual conversations in our homes. We're all learning a little bit more from the Bible as we use this as a guide, having conversations with our kids about the stories of God. Uh, if you think this is just a kid's resource, by the way, then you're not reading it carefully because I read this thing and get knocked out of my chair a few times. And so I love the way it tells these big stories of what's happening in Scripture. And we'll pick up. I want to read how the Jesus Storybook Bible sets up what's happening in the book of Joshua. It says it like this. After Moses died, God gave his people a new leader. His name was Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Joshua was going to lead God's people into the special land God had promised to give them. By this time, God's people were wandering around in the baking desert for 40 years. So you can imagine how sick they were of sand and anything yellow and tents and walking and being hot. And how happy they were to reach the edge of the desert to see their beautiful new home right in front of them. All cool and green and lovely. There was one problem. Jericho. Jericho was a city, but it wasn't just any old city. It was a fortress, and it stopped anyone from getting into the land. The people looked at Jericho, at the big, giant, scary walls all around it, at the tall, towering ramparts, all the heavy iron gates bolted shut, and they looked at each other. So let's, let's set up the, the scene for a moment that Israel arrives outside the city of Jericho. And if you grew up around church, you've heard a little bit about Jericho because Jericho is super duper Sunday schooled, if you know what I mean. I grew up in a, uh, if you think you grew up in a church home, uh, check me on this. I grew up with a Sega Genesis and we had a Joshua and Jericho game for our Sega Genesis. Look it up. It's, it's a thing. And then, of course, you had the song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling. Yeah, okay, a couple people. And then, of course, there was this group that taught us the Bible so well growing up, and they did Joshua and Jericho beautifully. Any, any guesses? Veggie tales. There it is. Amen. Some veggie tales. So, so this story has some popularity. But as a kid, I never read it with the attention to what it took in regards to obedience for Joshua and the Israelites to move into Jericho. So let's pick up the story, Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Let's talk about Jericho for a moment. Really cool. Back in early 2020, we had a team from Twelstone actually get to go to Jericho. They captured some drone footage of the walls of Jericho, getting to see how real of a place this was. And here's what we need to know. Jericho was a 
a city-state of the land of Canaan. It was small. It wasn't very big in terms of land size, maybe only a few uh, square acres, but it was strong. It was densely populated, and it had double walls around it. These walls are maybe 15 feet high. Some historians and scholars think that the walls were so thick that you could have put two chariots side by side, and these chariots would have ridden around the wall and been the same thickness of those walls. And obviously, these walls are protecting against invasion. Maybe you could better think of uh, Jericho, look at a picture like this. And so Israel shows up outside of Jericho, ready to take this city. And it's important to know who lived in Jericho. See, Jericho was a city-state of Canaan, and Canaan, Canaanites historically were some of the most wicked, cruel, and evil people that maybe ever walked the earth. Their culture was full of idol worship, even to the point at times where they would sacrifice children to appease those gods. So Israel was not only moving into Canaan to take a land of their own for it to be a new home, but also redeeming an evil land for God's purposes. So Israel, led by Joshua, arrive at Jericho, and we pick back up in the story in Joshua 6 to see God's instruction to Joshua. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now pause. Obviously, seven is a really important number. In Hebrew culture, seven would have represented completeness or wholeness. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. See, God's instruction here is odd. It's different than what they would have expected. It's here in a moment when God gives instruction that doesn't make sense, where obedience is key. You see, obedience to God doesn't always make sense to us. Obedience to God may not make sense to us, and it certainly didn't make sense to Joshua and the Israelites when they show up at the city of Jericho ready to take it, and God says, pause, walk around the city instead, shout and blow on trumpets. I like the way the Jesus Storybook Bible frames this portion of the story as well. What they would do, no one knew, but God knew, and God told Joshua what to do. But Joshua must have looked surprised because it was a very odd battle plan indeed, as we'll soon find out. Then God made his people a promise. I will always be with you, and I will never, ever leave you. If you do what I say, listen to this, if you do what I say, your lives in the new land will be happy and everything will go well. So Joshua gathered his army together. They had their swords and spears and shields. They were ready to fight. But the plan wasn't about fighting. It was about trusting and doing what God said. So they come out, they begin to, to uh, uh, begin to understand that what God is asking of them is very different than what they would have chosen to do themselves. And it's here that we have to understand something really important about obedience. See, obedience doesn't, excuse me, following doesn't require obedience if you agree with the person who's giving instruction. Because following doesn't, doesn't require us to necessarily change direction if we agree with the person that's leading us. If we only follow God when we agree with God, we are not being obedient. Because obedience doesn't really start until you disagree with God and still choose to follow his way. 
See, in Joshua and Israel, we're invited to obedience here. The ask of God seems odd. It seems different. It seems counterintuitive. And yet Joshua still chooses to obey God. Joshua chapter 6, verse 6, picks up the story. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, he's doing exactly what God instructed him to do. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city. And when an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. And the scripture continues to show us that Joshua followed God's instructions really, really well. But think about how this must have played out for Joshua and his soldiers and why obedience was so important. Because Joshua and Israel would have shown up at Jericho ready for battle. They were ready to fight. They were used to fighting. They were used to using their swords and their spears. They had been doing that for years as they moved through the desert. And right when they're at the promised land, they're about to take it. This is everything that they've been moving towards. God gives them instruction. And he says, actually, don't do what you're used to doing. Follow me and do something different. Why don't you walk around the enemy, blow some trumpets, and shout? would have been odd instruction for Joshua. Um, you know, I think about the, the difference in fight or flight. Maybe you've heard of fight or flight. Uh, a fight is when somebody is wired to fight when threatened, and flight is when maybe somebody is more wired to run away or fly away when threatened. Um, I think about this when it comes to my home, and, and men and, and women too, you probably thought at times, what would you do? If somebody were to ever break into your house, are you the type that would fight or, or run? Well, a few weeks ago, um, my wife and I were laying on the couch one evening in our living room and about 9.30 or 10, and we're unwinding at the end of the night and kind of maybe even starting to doze, and our back door flings wide open. Uh, it's loud. It's intense. The blinds are shaking. Uh, my wife and I, of course, jump up, and we, we, we run for just a second. We run down the hallway to where my kids' rooms are. My wife is at this point like barricading herself in the bathroom. I'm thinking in my head, somebody just kicked down the door of my, my, my house and I've got to fight to protect my family. So my heart's beating fast. I really think somebody's in the house and I'm gearing myself to go back into my living room. I'm in the hallway. I look around the side of the door jam. I look into the living room and this is what I do. Hello? Hello? And of course, I don't hear anything. Now, I don't know if, if somebody was in the house, if I would have, if he would have said, yep, I'm here. Uh, here, here I am, sir. Just don't mind me. Uh, it turns out uh, the wind had blown open our, our back door. But I promise you that if there had been somebody in our house, after that quick exchange of hellos, I would have, I would have fought. You see, you see, Joshua, I, I, you may not believe it, but it's true. See, Joshua was a man of fight. He was not a man of flight. He was used to fighting. So you can, you can picture this from Joshua's perspective. He might have been confused and even frustrated. God says to walk around the city instead of fight. And Joshua starts talking to God and says, God, like, hold up. You've gotten us this far. You, you freed us from uh, Egyptian slavery. We've walked through the desert for 40 years. We have fought and won battles. And at this pivotal moment, you want us to put our swords away and to walk around a city? 
I, I even think about uh, what it may have been like from the people of Jericho, like the, the enemy, like standing on top of the wall. Picture the wall and the enemy is standing on the wall and they think they're about to fight. The Israelites have shown up and then Israel starts walking around the city. The people from Jericho looking down like, what are, what are these guys doing? Maybe even laughing at them. This, this is ridiculous. And we're reminded that obedience to God may, may not make sense to us. And, and I wonder if you've ever found yourself trying to follow God and be obedient to him. And you have friends or family and people in your life that maybe respond like those from Jericho may have. Maybe people begin to laugh at you or doubt you or think that you're odd for doing life that way. Maybe you've had people even get angry at you as you try to obey God with your life. And then that becomes an obstacle to obeying God. Now, God's not asking us to march around the, a city, but there comes a point when, with obedience to God, well, he will ask you to make a decision. Obedience will always bring you to a place of decision to obey God or not. There's a really cool story happening at 12 Stone in our residency program. We have a residency program at 12 Stone, two years long for young men and women who are called into full-time ministry to be trained as pastors. And we have a new resident at the Snellville campus named Ty, who's in our student ministry residency. And uh, Ty uh, recently wrestled down his call to become a pastor. But a little backstory, Ty was a firefighter and had been for four years, had, had been doing that and building up a, a, a career in his early 20s. And of course, when you have a career that you love and you're in your early 20s and you're not married yet, what do you get to do? You get to buy your dream truck. Here's a picture of Ty's dream truck. It's a four-door F-150. He loves his truck. But then back in September during seven nights of prayer here at 12 Stone, God began to mess with Ty a little bit about his call to ministry. And Ty said yes. And to do that, to join the residency, it requires a ton of commitment without a full-time income. And so Ty had another decision to make. What was he going to do with his truck? And he decided, as he said yes to God, had a decision to make. He said yes to God to join the residency, left the fire department, and sold his dream truck and went and bought a beater. And it's a beater. So if you see Ty, give him a hug. Um, he sold his truck in order to say yes to what God was asking him to do. You see, obedience for Ty meant making a hard decision in order to follow God. And we are going to have to make hard decisions at some point in our lives if we're going to obey God. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong on this. God is not asking every Christian to sell their trucks and become pastors. But God is inviting you to make decisions every day where you will obey him in places of your life, even when you don't understand all the reasons why. I mean, here are just a few examples of following God and not fully understanding. Maybe it starts with choosing to wake up early. You may not be an early bird, but you to wake up early in order to spend time with God in scripture and prayer. Maybe you choose to be kind to people who disagree with you, patient with those who annoy you. 
When it comes to things like marriage, choosing to save sex for marriage and then inside of marriage, keep your eyes and your heart pure for your spouse. You may have to delete social media off your phone to get your head out of the sand and stop being a jerk. You may need to buy a flip phone if you struggle with something like pornography in order to limit the temptation. When it comes to finances, it seems like we may not fully understand why God would ask us for the first 10%, but he does out of worship of him. Maybe it involves being bold to love people and to share the gospel even when it's awkward. And those are just small decisions. God may ask you to sell your home, to downsize, to give away more money to somebody in need. He may ask you to move to a different city so that you can make an impact for the gospel there. Those are just some examples. But obedience to God will feel like moving upstream. There will be times where the, the pressure and the movement of people around you will be, will be going against you. And you may not fully understand, but God asks for our obedience. And our perspective in those moments sometimes just has to be this. God, I don't always understand, but I will still choose to follow you. So obedience may not always make sense to us, but let's go a little bit deeper into this thought of obedience because God does not just ask us to follow rules for rules sake. God's not just asking us to grin and bear it, but he's asking us and inviting us to something better when he invites us into obedience. At the beginning of the story we just read, Joshua chapter six, verse two, you gotta see something that's in play here that is so important and so special. Back to verse two, it says this, this is God's instruction to Joshua and to Israel. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I have delivered. That's in past tense. But this is before the battle had even begun. Let's do a little bit of a, of a grammar lesson. Like what does past tense imply? That it's in the past. <laughs> that it's already taken place. You see, at the start, God says it like it's over. But then also this is, is illustrated a little bit deeper in the type of trumpet even that God called the Jewish people to use. If you go back to verse 4 of chapter 6, God invites Joshua and the priest to blow a ram's horn. See, Jewish culture, there was the use of two types of horns most often. There was a silver horn and there was a ram's horn. A silver horn most often was used to signal the initiation of something, to signal that something was happening. They'd use it to, to proclaim that blank, this ceremony has started, and even sometimes the silver horn would be used to cue the start of a battle. But notice here that God did not instruct Israel to use a silver horn, but a ram's horn, and a ram's horn signaled something very different than a silver horn. A ram's horn primarily was used to signal celebration. It was referred to as a jobel, which was taken from the concept of jubilee, which was the 50th year in the Jewish calendar where they would celebrate all of the things that God had given them, that they would celebrate and proclaim liberty and freedom throughout the land. Here, the priests didn't blow a silver horn when they started the battle of Jericho. They blew a ram's horn because Israel was not declaring the start of a battle because this war, this moment was not the beginning of the war. It had already been decided. You see, ram's horns blast as God wanted Israel to know two things. The battle is already over and God has secured the victory. So why do we obey God? Because obedience to God is our invitation to join what he has already won. Why do we obey him? Because he is inviting us into his victory. He's inviting us into something better. And we see this moment of victory in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. 
This is the end of, of them moving into Jericho. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. At the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. I, I went online and I found a video of a Jewish man playing a ram's horn. And I want us to, to pause and reflect for just a moment of what this would have sounded like and meant to Israelites. This sound to them represented celebration. This sound to them represented victory. And as we talk about what is happening in our lives and what God is inviting us to with obedience, I want you to listen to this sound and to celebrate it like an Israelite would have celebrated that the battle was already over. Listen in. reminded of who God truly is. He is victory. He is one. There is no sin. There is no enemy. There is no battle that God does not look down on and declare that you lose. He was declaring to Joshua and the Israelites, and I believe he declares it to us today. He's asking, do you see my victory? Do you realize that I have secured the win? When we are obedient to God, we join his pre-existing victory. And this truth sits underneath every bit of direction and guidance and instruction and leadership that God gives to your life. See, God is not inviting us into obedience like he's recruiting people for his team as if his team is not very good and he needs more players in order to win. Like God is not the Falcons GM looking to try to make sure that we have an okay season this year. Like the Falcons could use God's help. But, but listen, God is not desperate he is not begging for us to follow him as if he needs our help. Rather, in love, he's inviting us into victory. He's inviting us into something better. He's inviting us into the reality that ends with the enemy on his back and God on his throne. This is what he's doing when he invites us to follow him, to be a part of life with him and being obedient to him. So maybe you feel helpless in a battle that you're fighting right now. Maybe there's a sin habit that just seems to always be stuck in your life. Maybe temptation creeps up and grabs your heart every day. Maybe there's brokenness in your marriage or your family. Maybe there's feelings of worthlessness, depression, and anxiety. Maybe there's feelings of a lost calling and direction and purpose. And I just want to kind of declare that God has power over all of those battles and he has never lost a battle. And so we obey with confidence. Guys, this is all rigged. Like we, we know the end of the story. We know the final score. You can place, think about it. Like the deck, the deck is stacked in God's favor. You can place your life on him knowing the truth that in the end he wins and it's over. He secures the victory. And guess what? Because he does it, he's the real hero. And we try to be the hero of our own story. Obedience is our humbling to God being the real hero. He leads Joshua and Israel in such a way that the only way that uh, this victory happens is that God gets the glory for the win. 
God gets the title of conquering king. God gets the title of hero, not Joshua and not us. The one worthy of the credit gets the credit. And because of this, we can follow him with joy and confidence because he has won and he invites us into it. We follow him closely because of what God has already won. And can I tell you, this story just keeps getting better because not only I get a little bit giddy when scripture like starts to pop and come to life. Because not only do we join his victory, like the end destination God has won, but in our obedience, God joins our daily battle. He's with us in the fight while we're still in the middle of it. We see this happen in Joshua. In Joshua chapter 5, before all of this happens, the night before the battle, we have to unpack an interaction that Joshua has. So Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, let me pause here. The word near actually means that Joshua kind of got up close to Jericho. So this is the night before the battle. He leaves the camp and he goes by himself to Jericho. Picture Joshua going up to the walls of Jericho, getting near to them in the dark by himself. Like this is Joshua was a stud. This is like Navy SEAL type vibes in this moment. That Joshua would go and he would approach the enemy in this way. And while he's standing at the enemy wall, scripture says he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And then Joshua went up to him. Again, Joshua was a stud. And he asked the question of this man, Joshua does, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Now, and the man responds, neither. There are some uh, translations that uh, give the man's response as no, which is an interesting answer to a, a question that's not yes or no. Hey, are you for us or are you for them? No. What's happening is Joshua's asking the wrong question. And then the man replies, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What an incredible moment. The day before taking Jericho, the day before Joshua would be challenged to be wildly obedient, Joshua is empowered by knowing who is with him in the battle. And this is not just an angel. We believe that this was Jesus himself. This is called a Christophany, which is an appearance of Jesus the Son before he was a baby in the nativity. He sees and experiences an interaction with Jesus himself holding a sword about to go to battle. And we know this is Jesus for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons is every time in Scripture where an angel reveals himself to someone, you see this pattern of uh, the angel revealing himself and that person kind of hitting their knees and beginning to worship. And the angel's like, uh-uh, not me, bro. I'm not that guy. You need to get back to your feet and worship him. But what happens here? The commander of the Lord's army reveals himself to Joshua and Joshua hits his knees and the commander of the Lord's army says, then take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Where have you heard that before? Where have we heard that before? In the life of Moses, when this whole journey began, before Israel escaped slavery in Egypt, Moses meets God on the side of the mountain in a burning bush, and God says, Moses, take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. Fast forward a few decades, they're about to take the promised land, and God does the exact same thing through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. And we're reminded that in any battle that we face, as Joshua was, the God of the universe was with him. Jesus was with Joshua. 
and Jesus is with us. See, Joshua had the pre-incarnate Jesus, the, the, the Jesus before the cross. We live on the other side of the cross where Jesus came and he lived for us. He dies in our place. He saves us from our sin and then he invites us into a relationship with him and he makes us brand new. This, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, think about it this way. This was the greatest military triumph in the history of mankind. That in the moment Jesus dies in our place, he deals the final blow to sin, death, and Satan. And all of heaven gasps. You talk, I mean, shock and awe warfare when Jesus dies in our place. Because all of heaven gasps and all of hell shakes when Jesus dies. And now because of his death and resurrection, he is with us. He's with us in our battle. He's with us in our daily lives, in our obedience to him. He gives us the power because of his presence with us to live for him, to be obedient to him. We live in the fullness of his love. We live in the fullness of salvation from sin. We live in the fullness of a future hope in heaven. This is why we are obedient, because what a God we serve. So we think about obedience better. Obedience may not make sense to us, but God is inviting us into what he has already won, and he is with us in our lives. But then we have to take steps towards doing, towards living. And this is why it's so important that Joshua actually did what God asked him to do. Joshua actually led an army to put down their swords and to walk around an enemy and blow trumpets and shout. Obedience requires action. Obedience requires action. Imagine if Joshua just took God's instructions like, hey, great thought, God, but um, I'm gonna continue to do it my way. Joshua and the Israelites would have lost because obedience requires action. I, I, I get the sense in interacting with hundreds of people that there are a lot of times where we want the credit for when we intend to do good things. Like we want the credit when we intend to be obedient. It's almost like God, we picture God in heaven. He's so loving, he's so kind. He's like a giant Santa Claus in the sky. It's like we're, God looks down on us. He's like, those, those rascals, those little kids of mine, the world's on fire, everything's a mess, but man, they mean well. Uh, do you know, like, try that in any other relationship. Do you know how many times I've promised my wife that I would do a household project and I didn't do it? Go find Sarah Hildebrand and ask her if I get any high fives or hugs for, for, for like, promising to do a household project and then not doing it. It doesn't work in that relationship. And so God is inviting us to move out of intention into action. Now, and don't, don't hear me wrong on this. Like your intentions matter, your motivations matter greatly. But if our good intentions never make it into real life obedience, that is not what God is asking of us. Jesus doubles down on this in the New Testament in John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, so who knows them and does them, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus is teaching us people who love God do as he says. Obedience to God is a sign of our relationship with him. And so let me get really practical here. Obedience to God will be evident in how we live. People will see it in the decisions that we make. It will be evidence. It will be visible that we love and follow God. So my challenge to you is to take up the call to obey him. If you have a relationship with Jesus, to take up the call to obey him in your personal life. That may start with you saying no to sin. 
saying yes to him in prayer and Bible reading and worship. It may start with how you live every day around other people and finding your purpose. I, I, I think about how many times a day, and, you, and think you, you have this as well, you have a prompt in your mind and your heart to do something and then you tell it no. I wonder how often we tell God no. I mean, how many times are you walking into a place like Walmart and you go to pull the door open, you look behind you and there's like somebody 30 yards away and you have that check in your spirit in your mind to go like, I need to hold the door for him. And then you negotiate with yourself and you're like, nah, and you go inside anyway. What if that was a prompt from God to simply be obedient and say, you know what? Yep, here I go. What if you are at a ball field with your kids? They're playing sports and you're sitting next to another parent and you're on your phone and you get that nudge in your spirit to have a conversation of encouragement just to get to know them a little bit. What if instead of staying on our phone, we put that down and we had a conversation? What, what, what if you're at a, a restaurant this afternoon and you get a prompt in your spirit to tip the heck out of that waiter or waitress and instead of negotiating with your bank account, you just listened and said, yes, I'm gonna do that. Like we start in those really small practical ways because if you walk with God for long, you begin to have those prompts and those thoughts in your head. And as you say yes in those small moments, God will begin to lead you more clearly in the big moments. Maybe it starts with you saying yes to him in marriage and parenting. Something small, again, you and your spouse are at odds with one another and you felt distant for a couple of weeks or even longer and you've had the prompt to go be the one that starts the conversation and say, I'm sorry, but you were waiting on the other one to start the conversation to say, I'm sorry. What if today you simply said, yes, I'm gonna start and I'm gonna say, I'm sorry. Maybe it's with your kids. You come home and you feel disconnected from, from them because work was crazy and busy and you just wanna chill out and disconnect a little bit and God's like, hey, uh, you can disconnect after they go to bed. I need you on the ground wrestling with your kids again. And you say yes. Maybe it's in your community. Where, where you have opportunity to love people, to live in such a way to boldly share the love of Jesus that the community would be shaken by your presence. A community has never been changed by people who are not obedient to Jesus. And when we're obedient to Jesus, catch this. This is a little bit of a side note. I pray that 12 Stone Church across campuses and 12 Stone Home all across the country, what if we lived in such a way that we became dangerous for Satan? That Satan began to get mad that you are where you are because of how you live for Jesus. That, that you move into your neighborhood and Satan is mad that you're in that neighborhood because of how you're going to bless and love the neighbors in that neighborhood. Satan is mad, students, that you're at the school that you're at because he knows you're going to disrupt and cause him trouble with how you love other students at that school. That Satan is mad that you get the job that you got because at the job that you have, you're about to lead revival down a string of, of office doors. That Satan is mad that your kids join that rec team because of how you're gonna love those families. That Satan is mad that you begin to visit that park that you go to because everywhere you go, you're gonna drop a kind word. We should live in such a way as obedient to God that it has ripple effects with everywhere we go as we see the kingdom of God come to earth. And the kingdom of God is not coming to earth unless we choose to say yes and be obedient to him. So that's, that's the challenge to go and to do and to be obedient to God, seeing what's on the other side, his victory, joy. You don't have to be the hero. Make a difference in the lives of others because God's way leads to victory. And we're, when we're obedient to him, we join him. But I feel like there's a few of us in the room, and, and I know I ask this question a lot, is where do I start to hear the voice of God, right? Because we can't be obedient to a voice that we don't know. 
And I'm not sure exactly uh, how God may begin speaking to you today, but I do know he will always start here. He will never begin to speak to us personally unless we begin to trust him with the Bible and in prayer. So if you're hearing all of this and in your heart, you're thinking, I want to be obedient. I just don't know his voice. Then start here today. Here's a really clear. You might need to write this down. Start here. Read the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And here's why I say read the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments are a summary look at God's moral law. God's moral law is bigger, it's wider, it's deeper, but they're not less than the 10 commandments. So start there and begin to put the 10 commandments over your life. God, am I following you here? Am I obedient to you here? And then move to the New Testament as you read the 10 commandments in the gospel of Mark and begin to see the pattern of the life of Jesus. And as you invest in scripture, because God's never gonna invite you to, to do something that isn't built on the foundation of scripture, everything that we need to be obedient for him, to him is found there in scripture. As you are reading the Bible and allowing it to be truth in your life, to understand who God is and his ways, pray as you read, God, as you lead, Give me the strength to obey. God, as you lead, give me the strength to obey. And as you open up the Bible, and as you open your mind and your heart for God to speak in to those little moments and then into those big moments, he will invite you into an obedience that, hear me on this, always leads to freedom, always leads to joy doesn't mean it's not hard. It's going to be hard. There's going to be moments where you're going to feel pressure. There's going to be moments when your heart's going to break. But at the core of it, the foundation is, uh, I have joined in the army of the Lord. And that always leads to victory. Today may need to end with a moment of reflection. Where you take a quiet 30 seconds and you ask God, God, where are you asking for my obedience? If you're a follower of Jesus already, when you ask that question, God, where are you asking for my obedience? I promise you, he will give you an answer. It may be hard. You may not like it, but he'll give it. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.